Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 204 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing Aljamain Sterling's comments on TJ Dillashaw's insistence of fighting injured, Michael Bisping's analysis of Nate Diaz's chances against Jake Paul, Jake Paul's disappointment in the pay-per-view numbers from his fight with Anderson Silva, and we'll be previewing select fights from UFC Vegas 64. Now, Victor, are you going to pay $8 for a blue check mark, or are you going to point and laugh at the ones who will? Let me tell you a quick story. I have applied to be verified. I want to say maybe, I don't know, six or seven times, and they don't even have the courtesy to wait 10, 12 minutes or a day to reject me. No, they just immediately just, boom, shut me down. Even though I work for one of the most influential combat sports sites in the world, even though I've done legit journalism, and it just never really, you know, it did, it, it, did it bother me? I mean, it was more confusing than upsetting. I was like, well, how come all these other people do? I saw a guy the other day had 180 followers, and he's verified. I'm thinking, well, what's exactly the deal here? Maybe it's all the shit posting I do. I don't know. But then it's like, you know what? Maybe you should stop trying. It's whatever. I mean, it would be nice to be verified, I guess, but it doesn't have to be an ascent. It's not essential, right? It doesn't have to be a thing that, that it never really made or broke me. It was just like, dude, it would be nice, but it didn't happen. And now... Man, let me tell you, boy, this is this is amazing. We are speed running <laughs> completely. I, I just, you know, I don't want to turn away from Twitter now because there's always going to be something around the corner. Like I said earlier, it, it, if the plan is for Elon to get on there and generate ad revenue by making himself the centerpiece of derision and have everyone dunk on him, then that's a solid business plan. And I think we should encourage it more. <laughs> Just block all the ads you get because, my God, it's going to be great. You know he's not going to make bad, bad, any of the money off of this. I, I just – I'm so excited. He's pulling people from Tesla. He's pulling people from SpaceX. They have no idea what any of this is. And if I were a shareholder in any of these companies, I'd be pretty mad. I mean Twitter was valued at $12.64 billion, and he paid $44 billion for it. And I am – absolutely rooting for that extra 31 billion dollars that he paid to be a complete and utter loss <laughs> well, he didn't even pay. it's 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 loans that's the beauty of it I it's know. loans I and want- on top of that it's the fact that he didn't want to buy it he had to they forced his hand after he tried to back out it's fantastic so- i mean this was a vanity purchase in the beginning anyways it all came down because somebody dared him to do it yeah, and that is well, the most boneheaded thing, but that is Elon in a nutshell. He yeah. wants desperately to be loved. Just stuck in 2013 with Le Epic Bacon memes. And here we are, man. Great stuff. The boy genius does it again, baby. <laughs> Good shit. Oh, what I want to know is if the UFC is going to pony up those $8 a month for all their fighters. Because you know, <laughs> they're very, very social media centered, especially around Twitter and Instagram. So I am just over the moon that some of these guys that put so much stock in their Twitter 
Well, you know, you know what? I'm wondering if the official UFC channel is going to rescind that. They're going to be like, you know what? You can keep this. I mean, as, as voraciously as they've been penny pinching, do you really think that? <laughs> I'm just wondering how this is going to go. It's going to be awesome. Oh, my goodness. I think it's so funny. But anyways, mm. we do have to get into some real news. And the first story is a good one. Aljamain Sterling, and I quote, says that TJ Dillashaw fighting injured was a testament to his arrogance. And I could not agree more. He gave an interview to MMA fighting and they asked him specifically about what he thought of TJ Dillashaw coming in injured and giving the idea that he was saving the card by not pulling out. <laughs> and Aljamain had very, very intelligent answers. So I'm going to quote from the interview here. He legitimately came into this fight and went through his training camp thinking I was going to be an easy fight with one arm or an arm that was compromised in terms of grappling. If he either took a shot and I sprawled, his shot, his shoulder would have come out the socket. Or if he posted on his arm, it also would have come out the socket. So for him to go through a training camp, the guys he's training with, he's kicking their asses and they're kind of giving him the false sense of security. But those guys he's training with are not Aljamain Sterling. They're not mm -hmm. Merab Devalishvili. So for him to think, he really was going to run through me. It's a testament to his arrogance that I touched on going into this fight and a testament to the delusional world that he still lives in, that he thinks the competition is still the same. My first seven fights before I got my so shoulder surgery, the same thing was happening in training. I still took the risk to get the fights in and luckily they went my way. But had I lost... I couldn't come out and say, well, my shoulder, because it wasn't an issue in all those other fights, you see, but now it's an issue. I got my ass kicked for the first half of the fight with Petrion, and I said, the better man showed up today and did his job. He took it on the chin. He took it like a man. I took my ass whipping like a man as well. When he comes out and says shit like that, like you had the built-in excuse the whole time. Now, Sterling said he'd gladly give Dillashaw a rematch when his opponent is fully healthy. And I quote, if I'm being honest, it would be me saying easy money, literally easy money. It's not disrespect to him, but I don't think he's the same guy he was before. And I think my skill set, my size and my strength is just going to overpower him. So 37 years old, going to have to do another year-long layoff with surgery because this is going to be his second one on that shoulder. If we fight again, it's only going to be worse. That's where I'm at. Now, I couldn't agree more with him. Everything he said was directly on the money. He hit the nail on the head. There, What more can you say? I mean, TJ was an absolute moron for going in there and fighting like that. But there's a reason he did. And I do not buy that it was to, quote, save the card because I have plenty of money. You don't get paid the same as you do when you're fighting for a title. Don't lie. Just admit it. You did it because you needed to keep that paycheck because you hadn't fought in a while and you needed it. Victor, what's your take? 
I I just you know yeah obviously the money seems to have been a concern. Um, it, it, well, I mean, look, I'm not saying he's a broke boy or anything like that, yeah, but me either, uh, but that money you have to keep it coming in when you live a certain lifestyle. Like the guys that get to the point where T.J. Dillashaw is, they've bought big homes, they've started their families, they've got nice cars. Maybe they're putting their wife through college or a kid through college or a family member. They're helping them out. They live differently than when they first get in. So you have to keep those bigger paychecks coming in if you want to keep living that way. And but it's I don't think it's just that. It's also the fact that, you know, I, I mentioned this before. I suspected that it was that dogged confidence that a lot mm-hmm. of these guys have. I mentioned this, that these people have this, as, as I mentioned, right, this almost psychotic level of dedication mm-hmm. and drive that leads them to becoming elite. And that's how they get to where they are sometimes. Sometimes it manifests itself in ways that are less healthy than others. And I think this is an example of it. And to expand on that, on the MMA Hour, Dillashaw said actually something that was kind of on that, right? He said, I took a gamble. I could have sat out and gotten surgery, but when I come back, who knows if I'm gonna get a title shot right away. There's no guarantee you get a title fight when you come back. There's a lot of options I'm weighing out of me getting this fight, and it's a guy who's very beatable. People are going to give me shit for that, but that's my belief. I think he's got some big holes in his game, and I matched up well with him. And this is the this is the money quote right here. I'm going to roll them dice. I'm going to bet on myself even with one arm. There you go. There you go. It's like, boom, Victor Damas. You know? But like, no, it's like, seriously, that is a big part of it. It's it's like if you take all these pieces together, right, the title shot and the money and safety that that guarantees, the paycheck, which who knows if he was really hurting that much for it. You don't have to be broke to really want to go out there and chase it because, again, as I say before, right, it's 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 play for pay. You don't fight. You don't get a, a check. It's just that easy. And then on top of that, you got this thinking, hey, you know what? It might sound crazy, but what if I did it? What if I actually pulled this off? What if I, with a bum knee, with a with a broken neck, with a cracked skull, what if I went out there and I just managed to hit the home run no matter what? And it didn't happen. And now everybody looks bad in this whole situation. So, I mean, Sterling is 100% correct in his assessment and in his statements. Um, it was actually kind of funny the way he framed it because it was like, nah, son. Like, you know, you, you're just, there's levels to this. And he's he is correct. Also, that... This is a different type of guy. This is a very different type of athlete that he was up against. And even though I had picked Dillashaw, um, I obviously, yeah, I mean, I did have some trepidation with it. I just felt that stylistically he might have done it, but not if he's not even at 20 percent with this bum arm like that just wasn't going to happen. And if it's bad enough to require surgery, he's going to be out for a bit. So it's nice that he at least got paid for it, I suppose, even if it did stink up the joint and it left a very sour taste in everybody else's mouth. I wonder what the UFC thinks of all this because Dana White's been notoriously quiet on the matter. I haven't seen much on his take on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm curious to know how the UFC views this kind of mess because it it really is a mess, but. It is. And and what's interesting about that, and I'm glad you brought that up, is the fact that you will know right away mm-hmm. if he is displeased. You know what I mean? But at this point, you know, Dillashaw has shown himself to be a guy that the UFC respects and likes and holds in very high regard. He would not be in this situation to get a title shot the way he did had that not been the case. So uh, there is something working here. Yeah. And and his 
it, it just, yeah, his, his, the silence here from the USC. Although Dana's been a bit quiet about a lot of things as of late. I don't know if maybe that's uh, sort of folded into, into that particular thing happening or if maybe it's just a matter of like, well, you know, let's weigh this out. Let's not, let's not be too harsh on the guy because we've seen and we know that the UFC has also egged guys on to take fights when they were less than 100% in the past too. So, I mean, what are we really doing here? Another thing too is that I realize all fighters come into fights not at 100%. It's almost impossible to get in there 100%. You're going to take some mm. knocks and licks mm. in training. TJ going in that injured, having told the ref before the fight that his shoulder would probably pop out and to please let it keep going. Mm. The fact that he said that this has been going on since April and that his shoulder has slipped out at least 20 times in training mm -hmm. tells me that it's a combination of of the two things, what you're saying and what I'm saying, that money was an aspect for sure. And I feel like it was the driving factor, but also probably to uh, almost as much a degree that that that, that dog in him. <laughs> he got that <laughs> For lack dog of a better in term, him. he got that dog in him. <laughs> so, what do we got next on deck, Victor? Yeah, well, next what we have is okay. So this is this is my favorite kind of story, right? It's a criticism that is uh, wrapped up in a lot of praise. And it still manages to piss people off. And we're going to move on to Michael Bisping, former UFC middleweight champ, who uh, is trying to read the tea leaves as to what is next in the future for a potential fight between Jake Paul and Nate Diaz. Now, as you remember, we talked about this, right? Nate Diaz having the altercation uh, with Jake, Jake calling him out after the fight with Anderson Silva. Uh, it seems that those antics might have moved him to the front of the line or at least put a, lit a little bit more heat on the potential of a matchup there between the two. And when asked about this, Michael Bisping in his analyst role decided to um, really just not hold anything back, as is his usual custom. He was very frank, but he... You know, I, I got to give him credit. He tried his best to be as diplomatic as possible and as kind as possible. And you'll see why in a moment. So I'm just going to read off what he said here. Listen, with boxing gloves on, I don't think it'll be a good idea for Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz was a tremendous mixed martial artist. He beat some phenomenal people, had a tremendous career. He lost some fights and he won a lot of fights. The jiu-jitsu would be gone. The kicking game is gone. The general craftsmanship and the game plans and the adversity of attacks, punches, kicks, knees, elbows, strangles, choke holds, triangles, takedowns, you name it. That's what Diaz could do. Those are the advantages he'd have over a Jake Paul. If he was to fight Jake Paul and at that weight, 200 pounds or 196 pounds, whatever weight they want to come in at, I don't think it would go very well for Nate Diaz. However, I will say this. I think they would both make a lot of money. Clearly, that seems to be the objective, right? I mean, that seems to be what Nate has wanted to do. That's mostly why he wanted out of that UFC contract so bad. And lucky for him, he was able to do so in the fashion in which he made it happen. But just one last tidbit here when he uh, was talking to MMA fighting, and, and this is really the crux of the matter here, just to highlight that last point regarding the weight and size disadvantage. Uh, with While the majority of Nate Diaz's fights happened at 155, he was a lightweight. Then he went up to welterweight, 170 pounds, and he went 5-5. Five and five. The only knockout that he got was against Rory Markham in 2010. Yeah, I mean, that's really something that's worth considering. And also the volume and the output that Paul delivers. I mean, we saw how that did against Silva, right? And even though Silva had some moments where he looked fantastic and he landed some great shots, Paul didn't seem like he did as much damage as Silva until the knockdown, really. That was maybe the most decisive shot in the entire fight for either one of them. Um 
Yeah, it, it doesn't seem to me like the math just ain't quite mathing for me. Nate is good at drowning guys in volume, but it's a very different thing when you're dealing with MMA guys in an MMA rule set where guys are expecting different kinds of attacks from different angles, and you're able to just walk them down and throw punches and bunches at them. But this is a different kind of target, someone who has been largely focused on strictly boxing, and you are going to be facing them in strictly boxing. How would that go? I don't know, man. I mean, Mike seems like he's right. It seems like he's making a whole lot of sense, making great points. And I don't frankly like the idea, but if it's going to get Nate a payday, why the hell not? I don't know. What do you think about this whole situation? I think Mike is absolutely correct. And let's not forget that Nate Diaz is just a hop, skip and a jump away from 40. You know, Mm. Uh, reflexes have slowed. Uh, speed has clearly slowed. And and as Mike pointed out, he's never had knockout power ever. Mike makes a ton of great points. At the same time, it's probably the biggest fight either man could have right now because, listen, Canelo is not going to even sneeze in Jake Paul's direction. It's an embarrassment. Not because Jake Paul is some terrible guy, but at the position he's at currently... He's not even going to get a sniffle in his direction because he's not fighting at the level that Canelo is. Now, I do realize that Canelo was well into his career. I believe he had had like 13, 12, 13 fights before he got someone solid with a beefy record. Mm-hmm. But that's how you progress fighters. And that's how Jake is progressing himself. Anderson Silva was probably his toughest test to date. And and that's about right. But you don't go from this to fighting a Canelo Alvarez. That's just un. <laughs> this Canelo thing. I love how every time like you bring it up and you're like, you. I I don't think that. I don't really think that people listening at home, because like I know you and I understand why you feel so strongly about this, but I don't really know that listeners at home are capturing just how much you're dreading the possibility, or, or you know, the, how much you you hate the, the 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 discussion because it really shouldn't. I agree with you. It shouldn't. It that should not be on anyone's tongue in any capacity. I mean, it's like it's like when Mayweather McGregor was happening. You just said like, Nah, man, that's just there's no way this should happen. And then it starts happening, and then it happens. You're like, Oh Christ! It just it. It's not good in any way. Um, and I'm kind of like hoping that that doesn't happen because I, I really don't want to know. Like, I, I just know that that would make you so sad. I'm looking at Nate Diaz's record. And there was another TKO after the Rory Markham when it was way back in 2013 against um, Ray Maynard. Wow. And it was the knockout of the night, too. So Mm. he does have a second one, but literally two in 12 years. Every other victory that he has is either through submission or decision. So Mike was not wrong about his punching power. And even now, that's probably decreased greatly. Jake has that right hand that is... It's a hammer, and I don't care who it's against. I mean, it puts men down. It put Anderson Silva down. Israel Adesanya didn't even drop Anderson Silva, but Jake Paul did. That's saying something, and I'm I'm begrudgingly giving him his flowers because, you know, he looks good for where he's at. Absolutely. Before long, Nate Diaz is going to be looked at as oh, you're fighting another old dude. So you need to make this happen 
pretty soon within, I'd say the next six or eight months, I wouldn't let it go any longer than a year at all. If it goes any longer than a year, then this thing is well past its expiration. Yeah. It's going to fizzle out so bad. And that's the worst thing, you know, like you don't want, you, you really do want to strike while the iron's hot, while people are still interested, because otherwise you end up with like, you know, the, the recent talks we had about Cejudo versus, uh, mm -hmm. versus Sterling or, you know, Anderson Silva versus GSP. Like at some point you have to know that the, if you're not, if you don't move with it, people will lose interest, you know, it must be that versus Edwards, that kind of situation. Indeed. Now, we are going to move on with a little more Jake Paul news. And this one is, uh, you know, it's unsurprising. So he gives this interview on his brother's podcast, and he talks about the numbers. So I'm going to quote from that. It's weird. Halloween, World Series, Sunday football. This is the worst time of the year to fight. But guess what? I had to fight. All my fights from now on will be in the summer. There's no sports. There's like this perfect gap in July to early August where there's no sports. And by the way, all of my other fights were during COVID when no one had anything to do, anything to watch. I had to fight this year. I had to get it fucking done, bro. I'm sick and tired of waiting around. Not only did I make zero this year before the fight, I lost millions of dollars just running a goddamn organization with 15 employees. I don't know the official pay-per-view buy rate yet. I think it'll probably be around 200 to 300,000, which is really kind of upsetting. The pre-buys were going crazy up, up and up. And then one Wednesday right before the fight, the news came out that Anderson said that he got knocked out in training or whatever. And the fight was in jeopardy and all this press came out and the commission called a meeting. The pre-buys tanked all the way down. Mm. The general public sees things like that and they think, oh, it's not happening. Tommy pulled out. Hasim pulled out. Oh, Jake fucking Paul can't get an event together. This is done. It killed ticket sales. We were selling that day. And then everything went to zero when that news came out. Now, apart from the other sports that Paul mentioned, his fight happened on the same day as a UFC event and two other very important boxing events, one of them being female boxing star, the biggest one of them all, Katie Taylor, and the return of Lomachenko. So I do understand where what he's getting at, that he fought at the wrong time. And when this fight was booked, we actually spoke to this, but you know, he, like he said, he got tired of waiting around. And so this is the result. Also, we have to consider the fact that the shiny exterior on Jake Paul might be wearing a little thin. And he did make a valid point that all his other fights were during COVID when there wasn't much sports on. So if you want to prove your value to the sports community, you have to make them want to see you outside of a COVID environment. 
Well, I mean, he was right about the fact that if you try to set up a fight during a crowded mm -hmm. schedule, especially the way that baseball is going now, I mean, maybe it might be biased on my behalf because, I mean, I live right outside Philly. So, you know, unfortunately, I have to bear the brunt of having <laughs> to deal with this stuff everywhere. Football is happening and the NFL apparently has got to a really strong start. Um, basketball is happening. There's a lot of crazy drama and a lot of amazing shit happening there, too. Um, yeah, it, it seems like this is probably the perfect storm of bad things to do in Halloween weekend. I mean, you know, like, sure, Halloween itself was not when the fight happened, but um, it, it didn't help. You know, I, I'm sure that wasn't something that um, that made things better in any capacity. But, yeah, I mean, all that stuff combined, it, it certainly made a lot of things happen. Um, the people pulling out of fights and all that. And I think his correct his assessment is correct as far as, like, you know, maybe you should schedule your fight for when there's less things happening. But this is going the route of versus. You know, if you remember, if you're not familiar with that, for those listening, versus was a little thing that started on, I believe, Instagram, where just artists were going on, comparing hits and performing and doing, you know, dingy little home studio setups and it was fun you know people were kind of getting nostalgic and then um things started opening up interest kind of waned and less and less uh, compelling artists were getting on the bandwagon and then people started charging so there you also had a confluence of things happening that you know we, this is going good now that everyone's locked up but you're not really planning for what's going to happen later on in terms of profit and um I, I suspect that that's something that that you know now I'm glad Jake is realizing. But uh, now you got to wonder what else can you add? And I don't know that maybe fighting another boxer is going to be it, but maybe fighting Nate is part of the recipe. I mean that is a step forward in that in that respect. I mean it's a step back in competition to me compared to Anderson Silva, but in terms of potential um, controversy and and selling and everything else, yeah, I'm sure that that would do uh, really good business. So. Uh, yeah, I, I I actually respect the fact that he was very smart about that and the way that he looked at it. So um, I, I I get it. And if he's saying that the the sales were low, I mean, he doesn't gain anything by lying about that. I don't believe. So um, that's that's kind of that's that's kind of messed up. But um, again, there is a bit of a silver lining of him showing once again that as reprehensible as he may be as a human being, at least when it comes to business, he's very very savvy. Yes, indeed. We're going to move on to another savvy businessman, Sean O'Malley, who I'm still personally, I don't know about you, I'm still trying to get over the uh, victory that he had over Patrick Yan, <laughs> whether the word victory should be in quote mar yes. quotation marks or not. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But um, he, uh, you know, O'Malley is trying to make the most out of the opportunity. He's trying to garner some momentum here and uh, – make a play for potentially fighting for the title as he's wanted to do for a while and the potential uh, heir apparent to the uh, coveted spot of uh, face of the UFC is uh, actually talking a little bit of that smart shit out here. He's, he's kind of trying to wrinkle some feathers and trying to make some good business out of it while he can. And he said this here, this is, this is beautiful. So Henry Cejudo, whom we discussed fairly recently wants to get back and jump. He wants to leapfrog everybody and get into the title picture against Sterling. And as we mentioned, yeah, there's not that much sizzle of that stake right now. It, it's a bit of a tough sell for most people so far from what we've been able to garner. 
And, uh, you know, the embers of that uh, being what they are, well, see, O'Malley just brought his shovel to put more dirt on those embers and really make sure that he pats them on, you know, so so it's so it stays out. Uh, he said he said this about Cejudo. And man, I don't know about I don't know why. I guess it's maybe the petty nature of it, but it did really make me cackle pretty heavy. Quote. I heard from someone close to Henry that he's got like $37 in the bank and he's literally just trying to do anything to get some money and trying to book a fight. This is <laughs> – look, I didn't actually see the raw video of this when he told – I'd love to see Hawani's face when this happened because $37 is a very specific amount of money. And I can't stop thinking about like the degree of haterism to concoct that – just that precise number and put that cipher in there. I just – I think it's beautiful personally as a hater myself. I, I really got to tip my cap to him. And he continued, quote – I don't know why Dillashaw would go into a fight with that high level and fight for a title when you're that compromised, unless you're hurting like Henry and he needs some extra cheddar. That's the only thing I can think of. I like TJ. I don't mind the guy, but I don't understand why he's going through with that fight. Then he uh, continues talking about the whole situation with Sterling and uh, the the potential for Cejudo, uh, you know, trying to work his way in again, right? Like what what he's what his jockeying in the end could actually get him if he were to succeed. I don't know. Henry's like opening main card, co-main event kind of dude. Even if him and Aljo go fight, it'll be some co-main event on some card. It's just hard to say. I feel like every time we talk about this guy, it's like, is he actually coming back? I don't know. I don't really put much thought into that. I can't imagine them wanting that Aljo versus Henry. Like, does anybody really want that? I don't really see the UFC being like, oh, we want this. I really am the money fight as far as if we're trying to sell pay-per-views. I'll obviously do five times whatever Henry could do. I want to sit down and renegotiate my contract, too, because I've been a lot of big pay-per-views. I know where I stand as far as selling pay-per-views. Some people, I get it. I understand why they're not getting pay-per-view points, but I should be. Okay, he is correct about the fact that he does have a level of popularity because with all of his shenanigans, his injury history, uh, the way that he's been not looking as formidable in some of his performances, Sean does garner a lot of attention, whether it's uh, ratings on TV as far as they can be measured or whether it's the metrics of how well he performs on a pay-per-view, how many people tune in to see him specifically, that becomes a little more obscure. But he does generate a lot of web traffic. And while that does not necessarily equate to the pay-per-view money that really is the ultimate sign of success for the UFC's business model, it is something pretty significant. And you have to be cognizant of the fact that he is dragging some people in. People do tune in to see him. And he's brash. He's opinionated. And even fans that have been a little bit more lapsed are trying to poke their head in and see what this kid is up to and what he can do. Um I think at this point, what we're probably going to end up seeing is Zahudo versus O'Malley at this point, because I don't see this going any other way, unless they do decide to give O'Malley the uh, title shot. But he, it, it's all really going to be depending on how long either party decides to wait. Because as we noted previously, uh, Steffi, you crunched the numbers and pumped them out. I believe you said that it could be somewhere between February and March that Zahudo would be able to make his return to the cage. Is that correct? No, he could do it now because oh, he, he jumped into the pool <laughs> back in April and they've uh, already begun testing him by May from articles mm -hmm. that I read. So mm -hmm. he could actually jump in right now, which is wow. probably why he's calling for fights now, because his six months are probably up. But they didn't test his bloodstream for ravioli, did they? Because that brother been putting on weight. I don't know how he's going to be out here making a 135 out here. What weight class is going to be happening at? 
That's crazy. Is he going to dehydrate? Is he going to risk rolling the dice and shutting off his kidneys to to make this weight? How's it going to happen? I know. I mean, he is looking like a little pork chop. My boy's this chunk right now. And that's the thing. (laughs) Like, I'm looking at this beautiful display, this origami, if you will, of of absolute petty bitch attitude. I love it. I think it's so catty. (laughs) I think it's perfect because it's very low-key burial. You know what I mean? It's a very subdued funeral with soft jazz playing. And he's just sitting there roasting the dead guy like you know listen man he wasn't the best dresser or none of like that not like me but you know he he has some fine threads he was all right like it's that kind of it, that to me it's just like you know this is gonna rankle henry's feathers and what makes this even funnier to me is this is gonna be like dominic cruz and team alpha male right the only reason dominic cruz looked like a superior shit talker is because alpha male guys are really really bad at talking shit but he was funny with it and this is kind of what's going on here this is a guy who's actually really good at laying it in in a subtle manner right and that's kind of like this whole king of cringe business it's not going to work man you're not going to rankle this guy he's not worried he's not scared he already has the confidence riding high after winning against Petr Jan again whether you believe he deserved the nod or not he's got that win in his pocket and he's going to try to parlay that in any way he can and he's probably you know I'm not saying he's got to going to have a big head over it or anything like that but he's he's certainly he's certainly going to have an extra bit of pep in his step so um I'm I'm curious about this. Do we do we see this leading to a potential fight with Cejudo, uh, or do we think that maybe O'Malley just um, you know stiz, he just waits for Aljo to come back and they book that fight? And what do you make about his assessment regarding pay per view sales? I mean, is this a hotter ticket than a potential Cejudo versus Sterling fight? Oh yes, it is absolutely. I mean, Sean O'Malley nailed every single point that he made, and. As much as I'm not a fan of him personally, I do like his fight style. I make it appointment viewing because he is appointment viewing. And he's making a ton of sense as he has since the beginning. He's a smart guy where money is concerned. His whole thing is of I'm not going to fight ranked guys until they start paying me like I'm fighting ranked guys was smart. They obviously gave him a bump, renegotiated his contract because he hasn't made a peep since. And now he's all of a sudden become a company man. So clearly they made it worth his while. Henry Cejudo has never been a draw. There's no bones about it. And neither has Aljamain. Aljamain could grow into a draw, though, with the right opponents. And Sean O'Malley is the right opponent, for sure. And I don't think Sean O'Malley wins that fight either short of a knockout, because that's his chance. But if this gets anywhere on the ground, he is toast. Absolutely toast. And it will get to the ground, because that is Aljamain's bread and butter. It will get there. Uh, Because Aljamain is smart enough to know that he'll need to avoid those hands but to the point about henry being broke i don't know if he's broke i don't know if he has 37 dollars in his account but i said this way back when he had his baby that that was going to add a new wrinkle to his quote retirement because he had not unretired by that point and i said from the get-go that he was too young and that he was going to be back and i was right and I was even more right that it was going to be quite soon after his child was born. It's been just maybe a year, a little over. He's been on paternity leave. Yeah. I mean, it's literally fallen into place exactly the way I said it was going to. And 
Henry does need to get a fight if he wants to keep getting paid, you know, whatever he has gotten paid in the past, which I know for certain is probably peanuts, because remember, he fought for the belt when he won the belt off Demetrius Johnson. He did it for a paltry hundred grand because mm. his his manager, that is what his manager got for him. And if you want to know who his manager is, it is Ali Abdel Aziz. Oh, okay. Well, I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, oh God, now I'm blanking on the name. What was the name of the guy who did the, um, he ran adrenaline. He had all the military guys. Monty Cox. Monty I was going to make a Monty Cox joke and I couldn't do it. Oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, you know what's funny though? You mentioned when when Henry had a baby, it made me it made me giggle a little bit because I'm thinking like, imagine Henry pregnant, like they do an MMA version of a remake of Junior with with Schwarzenegger and DeVito making cameos. That would be so depressing. But I'm also imagining in a much lighter way, uh, Henry Cejudo pushing his car to get it to start after he's borrowed some money from John Jones so he can deposit it in the bank and then post a statement. I'm not broke. I got more than $37. Yeah. I got, I got 5,000 and $37. Yeah. You know, Cause he just added the five grand that John Jones fronted him, you know, just, just to add that 37. God, that number is just so perfect. That's and beautiful. And if he comes in weighing 137 pounds, my God, the jokes, it's going to be, it's, it's gorgeous. I love it. <laughs> so we are going to get, to UFC Vegas 64, but first, we must do our weekly picks recap. And finally, finally, I had a good week because for the past three weeks, I have been in the gutter. Oh, wow. I wonder what that feels like. <sighs> well, ask Mookie because you and Mookie are in the gutter this week, and I'm riding high with my one win difference between the two of you. Yeah, I'm sitting at the old familiar table. Two servings of dog shit, please. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, Mookie picked Phil Hawes, Dustin Jacoby, Max Griffin, Arnold Allen, Anderson Silva. So he went two and three. I went I went three and two because I picked Roman Delize there. And Victor, you also picked Roman Delize, but you went with Tim Means. You I went don't know with what to tell Roman you, man. Cater. But <sighs> where where you where you did do good. You did pick Khalil Roundtree, even though it's kind of up in the air if he actually won that. Yeah. Um. He In the eyes of the record books, he definitely won. So you and Mookie tied at two and three, and I won the week at three and two. So the standings as they are right now, Mookie is still in the lead, 121, 17 and, uh, 72 and three. I am behind him by five. I'm at 116, 77 and 3. Victor, you are coming in strong at 107, 86 and 3. There is no way you can make me feel better about this. I just need to put that out there. <laughs> Trying. I really am. Uh, but we have a terrible card to go through because that's what we're we're served up lately these days with these fight night cards, but you got to remember, we might be getting served trash, but come pay-per-view night, they make it worth our while. I will give them that. Yeah, until the Mookie curse hits and they cancel half the card. I mean, it's what it is. <laughs> right. So our first fight that we're picking is going to be the feature prelim. And this is actually a good fight, in my opinion. And it's Shyland Nerdenbiecki taking on Derek Minner. Now, Victor, I'm going to hear from you first. 
Okay, so Derek Minner is a very, you know, smash mouth kind of wrestler. Um, I, I, he's got really, really good control when he's able to hit his stride. I don't know that he's really going to be doing that here, but I don't really, I'm not super invested in it. So I'm just going to pick him anyway, because whatever. <laughs> um, I'm going to take Nerd and Biecki. I didn't put a whole lot into this pick, but I think he's better than Derek Minner. How about that? And mm. apparently Mookie thinks so too, because he is also picking Nerd and Biecki. <laughs> and I don't have really have a whole lot of analysis for this card because it's a terrible card. It is. Mm. It's an awful card. I mean, the I, I've already railed about this to you, but the matchup of Shana Young and Miranda Maverick is so it's it's carnival type matchmaking. I mean, Miranda Maverick is going to mow her down. And the UFC should be sh- ashamed of themselves for booking that fight. But that's what we're getting. And we're not picking that fight because we already know how it's going to go. What we are going to pick, though, is Marco Madsen taking on Grant Dawson. Now, that's a great fight. Oh, Jesus that Christ. Is yeah. the, as a matter of fact, this is probably the best fight on the card that is and i mean it's saying something even though the fight even though the card itself isn't you know it's it's not the most um it's not a super exciting proposal of matchups it's it's got some uh it's got some fights that don't they're not great and it does have some fights that at least from an action perspective should be good even if they're not you know some of these are not very competitive but this this is a good fight on any card i think it's just a great matchup regardless so um i i like this dawson dawson's been uh, able to gnash some pretty nasty finishes including the aforementioned Derek minner uh the submission he had over mike trezano which i absolutely mm. adored and um he went over jared gordon which is another one just just pulling it off very late in the third round back in april uh but madsen with his wrestling and his power i'm curious if he's going to be um, able to fend off those tricks and remain undefeated i kind of feel like mm, i kind of feel like dawson's probably going to be the underdog but i i just don't feel comfortable picking against madsen but i'm going to do it anyway because again i'm just shooting into the dark here i don't care so i'm going to go with grant dawson i am as well and so is mookie i mean in my opinion he's the obvious choice he just has aggressive grappling i mean he doesn't he's not looking to control you and hold you down and lay and pray while install any of that crap no 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 this dude is always always gunning for a submission and he has a bunch of them he is a choke master too i mean it's either a rear naked choke or a triangle almost all the time this dude is amazing on the ground i i like mark madsen a lot and i think he's really good but i think grant dawson you know when they say there's levels i think grant dawson is levels above so we are all three taking grant dawson our next fight that we're picking again this fight card is awful sorry tagir ulenbekov taking on nate manis this is a a very under the radar fight i like it though i really do i think nate manis is very very good well-rounded as is tagir ulenbekov Mookie says mm. he's taken Tagir Ulimbek off. I am kind of leaning Nate Manis here. How are you going? I'm leaning Nate Manis as well. I mean, I usually have some trepidation when it comes to guys that come out of the Southeast. 
um, you know, the sort of Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky region uh, like Nate Manis did. But he's got some really good wins so far in the UFC and the manner in which he's been able to do it. He did have some seasoning in TKO as well, winning back to back against pretty sturdy ca- uh, talents and fights that he probably maybe wasn't expected to win. And um, I, I got to give it to him, even though his UFC wins haven't been against maybe the biggest names, uh, the way in which he's fought show that he's got the kind of seasoning and athleticism to do well. The problem is how well can he do at 125? Because it's it's a very um, – the, the, the bar for entry and the bar for staying alive there is a lot higher. And sure, um, Lanbekov is, is a very, very uh, strong talent as well. He's got a lot of – athleticism and some uh he's got a lot of chokes on his record as well but i just kind of feel like nate probably has a little bit more control particularly when it comes to the stand-up department i think he's going to be able to cut off alambikov uh, and, and not let him kind of uh, dictate the pace as much as he would like and that's going to probably start adding up as well as the entanglements on the ground i just kind of feel like you know maybe manis will be able to uh, stay safe from the submission threats and begin to control a little more as the fight goes on indeed uh, Nate Manis is also, in my opinion, his wins hold a little bit more weight. Yeah. So, all right. We get to the co-main event. Neil Magny taking on D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez. Now, Mookie is taking Rodriguez, but hey. I am not. I am taking Magny. I know Magny is a gick. No, he's not even a gick. He's a gick duh. It's not even a guy I can't trust. He's a guy I can't trust anymore. But I trust him more than I trust D-Rod because D-Rod struggled so hard with uh, Li Jingliang and everyone and their mother, including Victor, saw that sort of for Li Jingliang. And the other thing, too, is that Neil Magny's takedowns are very, very good. And he has all that range. Daniel doesn't have the best and sturdiest takedown defense. And Neil's really good at landing those kicks from range as well as those counters. Daniel seems to get frustrated very easily and fall into some old pitfalls that don't look like they're winning fights, despite the fact that the judges seem to have uh, given it to him anyways. I just think that Neil Magny might have the solution for him. I'm taking a huge risk here, but I am going to take Neil Magny. I'm going to go with Daniel. I kind of feel like he probably is going to struggle with the cardio mm. and and uh, some of the kicking game that, that Neil Magny brings, that veteran savvy that he employs. But Magny's also capable of having some brain farts, and I kind of feel like Daniel might be able to crowd him. Um, I suspect that Magny should have the advantage, but I, when it comes to having – there's certain fighters that are just able to turn the fight on a dime – Real quick, you just need to give him one or two openings. And I feel like Daniel probably might find it. Um, He's done very well against less disciplined fighters. I think this is a very stiff test to see where he's at and what his growth uh, could potentially be. And I'm not super confident in the pick, but I'm going to go with it anyway. So I'm going to go with Daniel Rodriguez. I mean, he just fought like six weeks ago. That's a really short turnaround, too. Um, Mm -hmm. Where's the peak happening there for Daniel Rodriguez is my question. Um, I don't know. Good question. All right. We're going to get to the main event here. Marina Rodriguez taking on Amanda Limos. Decent enough fight. I like it. 
I think Marina Rodriguez's striking is going to be too much, though. I really do. So I am going to take Marina Rodriguez, and Mookie is as well. And I have a really good feeling my brother Victor is too. Well, here's the thing. Amanda's Amanda's striking game in close is actually it's tricky because she can deliver a lot of um a lot of power, you know. The problem is also that while her counters are good, it's it's the clinch game that Marina really excels at. That's been like the the most frequently uh employed element of her game that has gained her a lot of advantages and been able to sap the energy of her opponent and then be able to do what she needs to do best whether it's working the takedown or just start firing up or cuts down the middle elbows over the top you know really make it dirty and make it a problem i just kind of wonder where it's a tough one to pick because amanda can really shut someone's lights off uh in this um i'm i i'm i'm just I'm not really going to be able to trust her 100% on this one. I'm going to go with Marina. All right. So all three of us are going with Marina, and I knew you were going to do that. So in review, we are taking Nerd and Bieke, all three of us, correct? Or no, you're taking Minner, aren't you? I am taking Minner, yes. Yes. So Mookie and I are taking Nerd and Bieke. You're taking Derek Minner. All three of us are taking Grant Dawson. Victor and I are taking Nate Menace, and Mookie is taking Len Bikov. I am taking Neil Magny. Victor and Mookie are taking uh, D-Rod, and we are all taking Marina Rodriguez. So, on that note, we are going to wrap the show, but please do me a favor. Get over, follow Victor on Twitter, at Vic M. Rodriguez. He's a funny, funny guy. And he's a stand-up guy, too, so you'll you'll get a mixed mash of all sorts of good content over there, so do follow. Very much unverified content, the best kind. The best kind. <laughs> and then follow Mookie at Mookie Alexander. And if you want to check out Mookie's uh, new work, he is the managing editor over at SB Nation's Field Goals website. So if you are a Seahawks fan, that's where to go. And Victor has this amazing Instagram, and you should absolutely check it out if you're a foodie or a travel head. This is the guy to see. He is Victor Sinister Rodriguez on Instagram. Victor and I still work for Bloody Elbow. We will probably be there until we're cold and gray. <laughs> That's right. Um, and Even if I hit the Powerball, I'll still be annoying. I'll still be doing it. Yep, me too. And uh, if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you can find the platforms to listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow Presents podcasts. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, 
and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.